Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. My pappy said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Chase Elliott in championship form, but how are his actions at Bristol Motor Speedway? We'll discuss the racing there, plus when will fans get back to the track and NASCAR weighing in on the racial strife in the U.S. This is Five to Go. me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail and he said son you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod lincoln hey folks welcome to the five to go podcast can you believe it is episode 99 we started this thing during the playoffs in 2017 and here we are almost three years later almost 100 episodes in the can doug fireball turnbull here and the Captain Herb Ballroom in Shambly, where I live, uh, my home office there. And we've been doing this podcast remotely for a, a few weeks now because ever since COVID-19 happened, we're trying to limit our interactions in the WSB studios and elsewhere. Eric Von Hessler is back from vacation but not able to join us today. We were having trouble getting our schedules matching up. And, of course, take a week off and get behind on some things. So he's got to take care of that after his daily Von Hessler Doctrine, which airs every day on 95.5 WSB and the WSB Radio app here in Atlanta. And it's also in the podcast world. Joining us from Dawsonville, and he's been recovering from major heart surgery, but still following racing very closely and very passionate about it. It's the master mechanic, Dan Elliott. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing great and appreciate that, Doug. And I sure do miss Eric today. I wish he could have joined us. Oh, I definitely wish that as well. And he sent a very nice note this morning, Dan, about your nephew, Chase Elliott, who has been extra relevant ever since NASCAR has returned from the COVID shutdown. Elliott has been in position to win four races out of the five that have run, and he has won one of them since we last recorded. He won the shorter Charlotte race, the 300-miler the or the 500-kilometer Charlotte race last Thursday night. He won the truck race last Wednesday, and he's been relevant, Dan. Uh, before we get into any of the nuts and bolts about those victories or, and loss this past Sunday as well, what what do you think about your nephew Chase and and his uh, and his and maybe all of the, the Hendrick Chevrolet in general resurgence in the sport? Well, you know, I've I've said for most of the year, and I'll say it again. It's it's been one of those things where uh, it's been good for me because if you're going to bet that old NASCAR and Chase, so it's been you know, they were the first ones to come back in and, and, and start sports uh, or a sport on TV, I guess, to where that we have something to see besides the same reruns, classics, whatever we had, which which was good at the time. But you're ready to get back into the real race. And, and um, it shows the strength that they possess right now and I don't know how long that will carry forward, but it, it sure shows the strength right now. And But the sampling here is over two racetracks. And I'm anxious to see once we get to Atlanta, which I figure that they will be strong there. I, I don't doubt that they won't be. But when, when we start going to some other racetracks, 
I want to see then if there are any other teams that come out of the box and not just dominate but have good runs because what I'd love to see is, is what I've said for a long time is the fact that it seems like one or two teams hit the setup every once in a while or most of the time. And well, then the rest of the field just kind of has to be there. I wish that everyone would hit the mark at one time, one race, and, and let's see where that goes. For sure. Well, one thing we saw at Bristol is just with so many people making errors, so to speak, and there being two distinct racing grooves that there were a lot of ups and downs and people that surfaced to the top 10 and then disappeared and came back. And I think we're going to see that at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And Chase's resurgence since NASCAR's comeback for the shutdown, Dan, hasn't been just two tracks. It's been three tracks because it's been uh, Darlington twice, Charlotte twice, and then a Bristol with Atlanta on the horizon this weekend. That'll be, by the way, on the Performance Racing Network, the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 on Sunday afternoon. And then Saturday's a doubleheader. The truck race is on MRN in the 1 o'clock hour, and then 4.30 is scheduled time for the Xfinity race. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, it almost follows the end of where that, that they don't need to practice or have, you know, it's so odd that, that they run so good out of the box with no practice or seemingly no practice or, or nothing. It's, it's just unload and go race and and come out and do this which is for the most part a lot of times just kind of unheard of right and that's something that drivers have said that brad kislowski in particular who is sunday's winner at bristol his second win of the year second time in three races he's won in the 2020 season brad kislowski said he thinks that just being just rusty enough plays into the fact that uh, why there were what was it, 15 cautions on Sunday and so much of that going on. Let me uh, go to something else, too, here, Dan. You talked about the uh, first few races back, or we've talked about the first few races back. There's a story coming out from Adam Stern at Sports Business Journal and another journalist as well that NASCAR may be allowing fans in the stands as early as the Homestead-Miami race June 13th and 14th, that race weekend. Uh, What's your stance on that, Dan? You know, it to me the the grandstands are so wide open. If if you have a lot of people there, that might present a problem. But as we know from the past, that hasn't been a major problem at every racetrack. But I, I believe there's enough room to spread out and do this safely. It just comes down to what they do as far as concession and restrooms. That's right. If the were- only thing about that is keeping it clean enough to do that. I spoke with uh, Xfinity Series driver Mason Massey's father, Mays, and I know you know him, Dan. He's the track yeah, operator sure at a track in South Metro Atlanta, New Sonoy Raceway, that opened to fans for the first time this weekend. And they opened at 35% capacity, and Mays was pretty succinct in his comments, but he said, no problems. He, the, the people stayed, obeyed the rules. They were set up every other row. They were uh, groups of people that entered together, like a family of four, let's say. They were allowed to sit together, but otherwise they had to be 10 feet apart in the stands, sitting in every other row. They were only letting 800 people out of the, or 700 or so people out of the 2,200 that were allowed in the racetrack. And the race teams were about 15 feet apart per trailer, so uh, outside the racetrack. So that's, 
they that seemed to work successfully there. We uh, also are hearing that up uh, northwest of Atlanta, Woodstock, that Dixie Speedway is going to try to run this weekend, and they're hoping to run with fans. South of Metro Atlanta and Needmore Speedway in south-central Georgia, they actually had to turn away over 2,000 fans because they were over capacity there. So there's definitely, Dan, a thirst for racing both from the track operators and the fans to be there. And I think if NASCAR were to allow fans to come in the next couple of weeks and do so with not just, oh, yeah, everybody keeps six feet apart, but literally say, like, hey, track operators, you're, you're only allowed 30% people in there. Only these seats are open, something like that. I think it could be successful. Yeah, but, Doug, I think it's more important for short tracks to set the example here because the short tracks do not have TV money. Most right. operators don't have the kind of budget that will allow you to sit vacant for the remainder of the year or even part of the year because that's revenue for them that they have to have. And they're in just a different environment totally. I understand NASCAR want to come back in the fans also, too, and I think it would be easier for the NASCAR tracks and fans to come back and do this than it is the short tracks because, you know, at Gresham, I think we have 4,000 seats. And it, it's harder when you have a large crowd to keep the separation that you need. But, but the short tracks need it so bad. And if, if you don't hurry up and do something with the short tracks, you lose cars, you lose fans, you lose revenue, and you may lose more tracks. There's also something uh, psychological, and that's a great point there on the short tracks, Dan. There's something psychological on the NASCAR side. They have had very strict regulations from the spotters being spaced out on the roof to the drivers not being allowed with their teams, essentially. They show up at the racetrack same day. They get screened. They wait in their cars, their motorhomes, and then go straight to the cars. That if you allow, If you suddenly lower the bar a little bit, to allow fans in, what does that change on the ground for the everyday people at the track? There, there have been almost no media at these races. I mean, we're talking very few media. I mean, uh, just a fraction of a percentage of what is normally at the race. If if you let 30% of fans back in, do you let 100% of the media back? How, how do you balance that? These are just some questions I'm asking rhetorically. I don't think you and I have the answers to, Dan. I think you've but... got to go carefully. I think you've got to go carefully in the beginning where that you allow a few more each time, but you don't just open it up. And also, too, the fact of the fans, the fans can be in the grandstand, but the access to pit road and so forth that they had before, this is going to have to be eased into. This is going to oh, have yeah. to be gradually opened up and cannot open up full bore as it was, as we knew it before. And it may never open up full bore like it was before. Uh, certainly not until there's a vaccine. And, of course, we've seen around the nation, and we'll talk more about this later, uh, that with the protests and everything, a lot of people are getting out and getting close to each other. So if there is a rise in corona cases in some of the big cities especially, you got to wonder how that affects the policy going it'll overall. Change, it'll change everything. You and I both know it. It'll change everything. Yeah, and if, they, and if there aren't a rise in cases, that could also change mm-hmm. everything in a different direction and allow fans to come back to other sports faster. And, of course, the other sports, I mean, NBA's talking about having a big uh, play-in for the playoffs down in Orlando, I think it is, or somewhere uh, in, in the Disney area. The uh, NHL's got plans to come back with expanded playoffs. MLS and, and their owners are actually at an impasse right now about how to return back, although uh, practices have been allowed on a voluntary basis. The players haven't shown up, at least here in Atlanta anyway. Major League Baseball is discussing as few as a 50-game season instead of 162. 
motorsports, though, because of being able to keep people spread out, has been able to come back first. And we've seen it on a bunch of short tracks now. We've seen it with NASCAR. This weekend, IndyCar is going to race at Texas Motor Speedway. And then just this morning, Dan, and we're recording on Tuesday morning, Formula One in Europe. They're they're uh, scheduling a July comeback. And that's a big deal. Well, I think just, a lot of people looked at NASCAR leading this, and, and that's what I said about the the Charlotte Darlington deal, and I know that that you had other races, Bristol, and and then you're coming up on Atlanta. But I'm I'm glad that other stuff's coming in because, like I told you, I'm I'm kind of kind of tired of seeing all the races at Darlington and Bristol being replayed, and it seems to have been more and more. I, I watch a race once, and that's enough for me. Yeah, I see a highlight, I go out to YouTube or something, and watch a highlight, but. Otherwise, I've seen it. I've been there, done that, and let's move on. And I try to find something new, something different, something that is that I haven't seen before and, and watch it. So uh, tell me about that, Dan. Okay, so when you said that to me, I guess I was under the impression you were tired of there being double cup races in the same week at the same track. But what you mean is you're just tired of seeing so many replays. That's exactly right. Somebody okay, okay. I was about to say. I was like, I was like, I don't know. I haven't heard anybody complain about there being some weekday races and 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 ways to get on the racetrack. But you're, yeah, no, I but agree. Let's that just when go I, to different places. Let's let's go to different places. I want to see. And, and 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 we will as we get more through the virus and things change. You'll go to different places. But I'm just tired right now seeing the same things over and over again. Right, for sure. Well, uh, up next is going to be Atlanta Motor Speedway, and then you've got Homestead. Uh, and I'm saying this in no particular order, but Homestead, Talladega, and Martinsville all teed up, and Martinsville will actually have a double race de- or a midweek race deal. So uh, they're definitely expanding out to more tracks. And then when you start getting further away from Charlotte, Atlanta, Talladega, Homestead, you're talking about now at least having to fly, if not drive and spend the night if they can't do that. So there's going to be definitely some changes and a little more liberalization if you will of how things yeah, but, uh, def- but definitely you hadn't stopped flying you hadn't stopped any of that during this there's still been not to the degree that it was but you hadn't stopped any of that there there's still been people that that have traveled that way and 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 you won't be able to stop it because most are private anyway so they're kind of together whether they're at the track or not at the track they're together anyway yeah, well, that's a good point there, Dan. They're having to carpool to the race, so that's starting to put you in the same vehicle. Yeah, it, it, it's the same thing. What's the difference in, in driving to the race and flying to the race if you're together with the same family or the same people? You're you're together anyway, and it and it's kind of like the being careful uh, when you when you go out to eat groups of four or groups of ten, whatever. Same difference. It's, it's not going to change anything. People are comfortable around most of the people that they're with. They know who they've been around, who they're exposed and who's not been exposed and and as we get a better comfort level going forward as you say once we get a better comfort level i think it's going to ease up and the only thing that would change that as you brought to mention a minute ago was the fact that if you do have a spike in the virus well yeah great point so uh, now let's look at the uh, actual x's and o's here because we had two really i think anyway and i think a lot of fans felt the same as well scintillating races at bristol motor speedway x's and o's is that kyle and chase is that x's and o's? Uh, it might be yeah exactly <laughs> yeah or kyle and joey logano all right so what Ooh, you saw is yeah 
you go back to Darlington, you saw Kyle Busch spin Chase Elliott out of what could have been very much a win there, and Chase crashed in the back, and they didn't really have much confrontation, talked it over, it was fine. Then Chase comes back and beats Kyle at Darlington in the truck race last week. He beats everybody in the cup race on Thursday. Redemption, yay. And then and then at Bristol, he is, I mean, looking spicy there as well. The number nine car is uh, dialed in, and he had to come back from some different pit strategy and things like that. And he sailed it in on Joey Logano for the lead there on a late restart, and this race was full of cautions. And... Gets under him, but doesn't clear him. And then the next set of turns, sails it in there again and runs them both up at the track, out of the lead, signed, sealed, and delivered victory to Brad Keselowski in the car number two. So, uh, Dan, what did you think about the Bristol race in general, and in particular, uh, Chase's moves there at the end? It's a life lapse of Bristol. What do you expect? It's, yeah. it's one of those things where, to me, it was racing and if the table was turned on any of the other drivers there, it would have been no different. And, and and we go back, you know, we go back several decades, and, and obviously Dale Sr. would have been no different, and neither would anybody else. You're racing to win, and, and the wins are are hard to come by for a lot of drivers. So you're, you're going to give it everything you got and then some, and, and you're either – you either make the moves and and it and it works or it don't, but you got to try. Right. Well, that case it that case it didn't. And we saw, by the way, last on Monday night, uh, just a day later, Noah Gregson goes under Justin Allgaier. Allgaier leaves the bottom open there on a late restart and uses him up, but uh, Gregson goes on to win that. Doesn't use himself up. So uh, after the race, uh, Chase and Chase is driving hard. I mean, it shows that he's not that he very much drives like he belongs. It doesn't have imposter syndrome in the Cup Series, and I don't think he has that had that for a long time. Uh, Chase, by the way, Dan, is racing at a level now, and the nine team is, where, as Eric put it in a text us this morning, Eric Von Hessler, they look like they're in championship form. Like they, it's... They they Chase has driven some good races, but had maybe eight to tell twelfth place speed, and now he's one of the fastest cars out there and is getting up front every race. Yeah, very consistent every race, and and they're contenders every race, and they're almost to the point that they've dominated every race. Interesting. I I really do. I think that's the the emergence there. And then, of course, of Alex Bowman, who ended up getting wrecked on Sunday, William Byron, and Jimmy Johnson, by the way, looked very good. I think he was second on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But uh, just just another another story of that Hendrick resurgence. Uh, Johnson was third on Sunday. Clint Boyer was second. All right, so... Let's look at the actions after the race, Dan. I, we have discussed on this podcast before managing problems. In 2015, Joey Logano uses up Matt Kenseth multiple times in races and doesn't apologize and gets cleaned out by Kenseth, cleaned out at Martinsville, and a chance to win the championship thwarted. Okay? And then we look forward last, last year in the uh, playoffs as well. Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano go at it. Hamlin's contention with Logano once again. Hey, man, he he did, he came up to me and just acted all smug. He didn't even apologize. And then we have the table's turn. Chase Elliott drives hard, uses uh, Logano up, and Logano's complaining he didn't get an apology there, and that's what their stern talking to was about after the race. Uh, looks like that's the pot calling the kettle black, huh? 
Well, it was interesting to say the least, but the, but the worst thing about this, Doug, is we had no idea what they were talking about. So That's true. They could have been talking about going to Hooters after they got done leaving the racetrack, for all I know. But it, it did end up being, you know, I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen early in the race because you, you and I both know that we've, we've seen drivers, uh, especially short tracks, we've seen it through NASCAR, where, where you, you get to battling early in the race and take yourself or some of the field out. And, and at least it was the last laps of the race, which is understandable. It, it's the race to win. So you try and do the best you can. So, um, yeah, Logano has been in the same position Chase was in before and made no bones about it. That's, that's the moves you got to make to win the race, and they do it. And Logano didn't apologize in the past either. Now suddenly the standards have risen, I guess, for him. Uh, another thing to note, too, is Ricky Stenhouse Jr., out of the gates, post-COVID shutdown, wrecks on lap one at Darlington. And then he struggles a couple of races. And then the second Charlotte race, he gets up there and is running top five and looks really sporty. We go to Bristol, that 47 Kroger Chevy JTG Dowerty Racing looks sporty again. Top 10, he had to go back in the pack at one point. But then, uh, very early in the race, too, we're talking before halftime, Jimmy Johnson... And he, it looks like a Stenhouse checked up for a lap car or, or checked up for a car in front of him. I can't remember who. And Johnson was going for the spot, and it just changed their angles a little bit. And Johnson gets into Stenhouse, and it cleans out Stenhouse, Tyler Reddick, Alex Bowman, uh, and one more. I, I forget. I'll, I'll go down and look in just a second. But but four, just like that, four cars pretty much eliminated from the event. What well, what was your take of that crash right there, and and kind of the up and down luck of Stenhouse? And by the way, Cole Custer was the other car. You know, it, it is one of those deals for short track racing, and they're running so hard and so fast. And you've got to understand, too, with them treating part of the racetrack and not treating part of the other racetrack, you have to be so careful where you are on the track to stay in that track, in that spray that they put down, that sticky uh, spray they put down you, you've got to be so careful where you are and and you run up in traffic and you can't always do that and and remain in the groove you want to stay in so you move out of the groove a little bit and you're in the marbles or you're out of the track stick and and this is what you get it, it's just a product of and there's not anything that you can do about it except say hey that's racing and and people got caught up in it and wrong place wrong time not much you can do about it but you know, it, it goes to what I said about spraying. You know, do you do it or not? Do you alter your surface to try to change the level of competition? And and you've got you've got opinions either way on this. Does it make the racing better? Does it make it worse? But but this is the outcome of a lot of times of when you try to go in and, and alter a surface. Right. Well, for sure, there definitely are different opinions on that. And what was interesting in Sunday's race was the drivers were at the very beginning, and, it, and all within the first stage did this change. The outside lines where they mostly ran single file, then they yep. started experimenting and then moved to the inside line. But then after that, once the outside rubbered in, you had drivers, I think, in equally using the outside and the inside lanes to get around that racetrack. And that's when the race had got really really good. And I, I feel like one of the complaints though, Dan, about Bristol and this, I mean, Jeff Gluck's poll that he does after each race on Twitter, 95% of people said it was a good race at Bristol. 
But the thing that they complained yeah. about at Bristol that caused them to grind the surface and do this different stuff was that it was no longer a one groove racetrack anymore. They they were people complained that you didn't have to do the bump and run to move anymore. But yet this race eliminated the need necessarily for a bump and run because you could run both grooves and people thought it was good. So I kind of get the feeling that people don't know what they want. <laughs> I kind of agree because uh, you couldn't you couldn't pull a fan in the sand, could you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 sort of like Goldilocks. There, there's always something wrong. I guess there's but always it, there's always going to be people complain one way or another. For for me, Doug, I love the old bristle when it was asphalt, and and the asphalt was a little bit more forgiving. Uh, it seems to me, <clears throat> excuse me, it seems to me like the concrete is not as forgiving. You're running on the ragged edge most all the time, and there is no margin for error whatsoever. And and to me, the asphalt allowed that to where the, you could do the bump and run and not wreck the field. You you could just move them up, whatever yeah. you needed to do. But but this is a little bit different with the concrete, I think. And then you add that track stick to it, and it alters it again. So whatever the people want, whatever they feel like the best race, I'm sure is, is what's going to be the next time you go to Bristol. Well, I think the majority consensus around was that Sunday's was a really good race. I think we're set to see some good racing here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I mean, yeah, we're on a mile and a half again, but this pavement is uh, older than some of the drivers in the field, Dan. All right, 1997's when it was last repaved, and that's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. The Hendrick cars have been quick on the mile and a half tracks, but they also were quick at Darlington, which is a little bit shorter, but it has the same uh, tire wear feel. Uh, I'm just interested to see what Toyota rolls out with because each race they've shown okay, but they have never really been the fastest. No, no, and and we've talked about that on on, on several of their podcasts. Is the fact that this year has been a different year for Toyota, and and I don't know what it's going to take for them. Definitely going to take some some work back at the shop, I'm sure, and. I don't know if there will be any changes to the rules whatsoever as the year progresses. You know, that that's something that will be up in the air. And, and definitely being at Darlington and Charlotte for, for so many races, you sure can't judge the rest of the season by that. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, something to note, too, the Penske cars were all lightning quick at Bristol, but uh, Ryan Blaney did what he's kind of shown to do is lead a lot of laps and then find some way to give it up at the end there, and he led 60 laps early in this race but jumped the cushion when he was fighting hard for the lead and wrecked out, and he and he backed it up against the wall and was okay, but then Ty Dillon thought the outside lane was going to stay open and that Blaney was going to clear down the track, and Ty Dillon clipped, pretty much front clipped him there and, and took them both out of contention. So uh, Ryan Blaney was one of the contenders that we saw fall out of this thing. And then, you know, looking at the point standings here, uh, Brad Keselowski, and this is, uh, excuse me, not Brad Keselowski, this is straight up points. This is not involving the uh, wins necessarily, but Kevin Harvick has scored the most points this year. He, he's got a 24-point lead over Joey Logano. Chase Elliott is third in the standings at 45 back. And then if you look at the playoff standings, you've got three drivers with two wins, Logano, Kozlowski, and Hamlin. And then the, then your two one-win drivers, Harvick and Elliott. 
and uh, and sorry, three one-win drivers, Harvick and Elliott and Alex Bowman. At seventh in points, the highest driver in points without a win is Martin Truex Jr. Despite his inconsistency there, Truex is seventh, eighth is Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Eric Almirola, Clint Boyer, Matt Benedetto, Eric Jones, Jimmy Johnson, Austin Dillon. That's your top 16 right now. Um, well, it's way too early to figure out where you're at with points. We don't know anything as far as what's going to take place with <clears throat> getting back in some kind of rhythm with the different racetracks and going to the different racetracks because the variety to me is is what makes this racing deal work because I love the road courses. I love the short tracks. I don't as much particularly care for the cookie-cutter tracks, which we've got an abundance of, but I love even the mix of Daytona and Talladega in it. But, but to me, I'm a big road course fan, and if the if the new Gen 7 car is, is one geared more toward road course racing, then for me, this future car is, is what I want to see more of and, and going to more and more road, road course races. All right, we, and we don't know when NASCAR will return to Watkins Glen or when exactly the Roval race will be, just no. because the next part of the schedule, which the team supposedly have in hand but hasn't been released yet, uh, that that's still hadn't come out. Now, a couple of uh, nods, by the way, to people that got up there and had some decent runs. Uh, Austin Dillon ended up sixth at Bristol, and he had a speeding penalty early in the race. Bubba Wallace finished 10th, and he has had top 10, top 15 cars the last three or four races, but it's had two right front hub problems that have set them uh, out of contention early. In this case, he was able to finish it off in 10th. Christopher Bell, the rookie, finished ninth. And then look here, Ryan Priest drives for the back to the front multiple times in a damaged car to finish 12th. And then both front row motorsports cars, Dan, finished 13th and 14th, the rookie John Hunter Nemechek and Michael McDowell. So pretty cool to see that. Yeah, the different, the variety of drivers that are that are running good. I, I love seeing that the the strength of some of the teams coming forward and what I'm looking for for the rest of the season shows a lot of promise. And like I say, I just wish more teams could have hit the mark at Bristol because Bristol was almost like a moving target, was a moving target because you had so many different things. Excuse me, you had to deal with. And keeping up with the track was the major deal. Yes. Yes, it was for sure. Another couple of drivers that aren't usually finishing on the lead lab but benefited from a lot of cautions on Sunday. Daniel Suarez and the Gaunt Brothers, number 96, was 18th. And Timmy Hill, 66, Carl Long, NBM Management Motorsports team. They finished 19th. So good runs for those guys there. And similarly in the Xfinity Series that, again, Noah Gregson was able to come out the victor of there. And Chase Briscoe was able to come back and finish second. But you look through the back of the top 10, and these are the survivors. Brandon Brown and his family-owned team. He was 7th. Jeremy Clements' family-owned team. 8th. Josh Williams and the uh, Mario Goslin team. DGM Racing. He was ninth. And even and B.J. McLeod was 11th. Vinny Miller was 12th. So these are guys that normally are multiple laps down or certainly not in the top 15 or 20, but they're benefiting from no cup drivers being in the field because this was the qualifying Xfinity Series race for the Dash for Cash. So the top four Xfinity finishers, which are Gregson, uh, Briscoe, Brandon Jones, and Harrison Burton, 
who go to Atlanta and the highest finishing of those wins a bonus from Xfinity. So they, they don't let the cup drivers in these dash for cash races, but they're also benefiting from there just not being Dan as quite as many teams this year and as many cup affiliated teams. You know, there's only one RCR yeah, I team. Noticed, I noticed in the numbers that there weren't as many teams. Right. No, there's no RCR or there's only one RCR team. There are no Roush or Ganassi teams there. You really just have the juggernauts of junior motorsports, which is pretty much Hendrick and Joe Gibbs racing. So, but that that was a fun race to watch there on Monday night too. Did you catch a whole lot of that? No, I didn't catch a whole lot of it. Um, uh, I'm sorry I didn't, but I know it was a good race and uh, I've seen a few of the highlights from that race and it was a good race and it was good to see those drivers that don't get a lot of attention or don't get noticed as much were able to run good and get some of the publicity press that they desperately need. Right. Uh, de- definitely good to see. And, and seeing some contenders, too, fall, fall back and kind of stir the pudding. Not, not that I wish misfortune on anybody, but <laughs> conflict is racing. Okay, last thing I want to cover here, Dan, on five to go. I mean, we've talked a lot about the racing action and, and then sort of policy and schedule changes and, and Chase Elliott and personalities. But it all seems frivolous compared to the bigger happenings in the world. And even here in Atlanta, where you and I are based, or you're in Dawsonville, but close enough to Atlanta, we've seen the protests on the streets here, and we've seen them nationwide, watching it on the news or social media. And with the George Floyd killing that took place in Minneapolis over a week ago now, that it's taken some time for, I think, a lot of people to process it. And there certainly is pressure on those that that have a platform or have the power to speak up. And NASCAR, Monday evening, released a statement, and I'm going to read it in full. The NASCAR family, like so many others, is hurt and angered by the immensely troubling events that have taken place across our country in recent weeks. For us to heal and move forward as a nation, we all need to listen more and be united in the stand against racism, hatred, senseless violence, and the loss of life. And we must hold all ourselves or hold ourselves accountable to driving positive change. While our sport has made progress over the years, there remains much work to be done. And we fully embrace our responsibility to help bridge the racial divide that continues to exist in our country. We must do better. And our commitment to promoting equality and inclusion continues and will never waver. That was the official statement from the sport. We saw similar statements from an array of drivers really over this past weekend and early into this week. Uh, Ty Dillon, Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick were those to speak out. And Ty Dillon and Bubba Wallace did something, Dan, that I mean, I, I thought was powerful. And I watched a little bit of it during one of the breaks in the race on Monday night. They did an Instagram live where Bubba Wallace, who is half black, and Ty Dillon, who is is white and grown up in a you know more privileged situation, let's say both financially and otherwise, than Wallace, they had an Instagram live, and and Ty Dillon actually did an interview before this with USA Today, saying that over the off season, it really he really felt convicted about trying to study up on race relations, and and really was studying Martin Luther King, and and he really spoke up in a way, Dan, that I haven't heard drivers say. Uh, speaking specifically about race and and being in his shoes, knowing that he can't relate to to an African American. And Bubba Wallace said in this Instagram live, which was, again was very transparent. Bubba Wallace said he's been pulled over twenty times, and only three of those times was he speeding. So, Dan, I don't really know what my question is. I guess just what's your impression about uh, NASCAR and the people involved in it speaking up? Well, we all know that. 
anytime anyone is killed is is not it, it, it's wrong all all killing is wrong i don't care what it is and no matter what color red white black brown it does not matter and it should all end i don't care what it is it should all end and you know the deal of getting pulled over i can remember as a teenager going to town and because i had the same color car as another kid in town i got stopped and got a ticket for what he did oh no we we are all not immune to what is going on things happen being at the right place at the right time and it may be color it may not be color i don't know what's in a person's heart i don't and and to see what happened the tragedy that happened was was definitely bad i can't change that but as my grandma said two wrongs don't make a right so let's let's do this the right way let's let's not do it continue to do it the wrong way Right. And I think that's the stance of a lot of people. Bubba Wallace yeah. actually took some heat from a Black Lives Matter supporter for tweeting as part of his uh, part of his orations on this on Twitter. Bubba Wallace said, hey, I believe all lives matter. And he spoke out against the protests or not the protests, but the, the property damaging and violent parts of the protest there saying that he didn't stand for that either. And I, I think yeah. that the really all of the drivers have and, and the sport in general have been delicate in saying they're they're not taking a radical stance at all. I think most people in the country are against the racial inequality aspects and against the looting of stores aspects that some of this has taken, but uh, but definitely are empathizing with people that are upset about it. So as a sport, I don't know, Dan, that there's a whole lot more that could be done as far as policies and everything. Everybody's welcome to drive. Everybody's welcome to be employed. But Yeah, the one of- thing I said, somebody had said something to me about um, about racing and 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 inequality and i said the only thing that discriminates to me in racing is, is lack of money money yeah. discrimination is green so, and, and, yeah. and, I, and i try to be sincere and i try to be empathetic as far as what's going on but to me because i would love to race also i'd love for my son to race also but we couldn't afford it so right. and, and 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 we tried our best to make things work but it just didn't work out. Life is not fair. It, it's just not fair. I wish I could make it fair for everyone, but it's not. And and it's up to us to look at that and know this and make the best of it and not not be um, not be to where that it alters us to someone that we're not. Oh, I think that's absolutely correct. Well, yeah, Dan, and I, you know, I, I think what we do need to be in touch with, and something that I haven't been in recent years, until recent years, is the fact that there are biases that happen that I will never be privy to just because I'm not on that side of them. I, I'm not a person that really does those biases consciously anyway. And and there are things that happen I think that people do unconsciously all the time just because they see something they automatically think, even if it's 5% more negative, that's still a, a bias that's unfounded. And so that's something that we can all work on for sure. And, you know, I just ask everybody that, that listens here that's a race fan to just be respectful. And, and something that my, my pastor, Andy Stanley, has said too, which is go, go out of your way to try to talk to some of your friends that are a different color, whatever color that is, and have a conversation of understanding instead of a, a package of assumptions that we all have. So, 
Good perspective from you there, Dan. Um, as we move forward to Atlanta and then on down the road here, any parting shots here as we wrap up episode 99 of 5 to go? Joe, do you know if they're going to use the track stick stuff? Are they going to spray the groove at Atlanta to try to alter the groove? Or I don't think do that's you know something that's been done in the past because Atlanta has been naturally multi-groove. So I don't know what would have changed between the past years and this year's that would cause them to do that. But that's something that really the SMI tracks, which Atlanta is owned by SMI, have done at Texas and Kentucky and Bristol. But they, I don't think they've done that at Atlanta. Yeah, I don't know either, and I don't know what the what the formula is for the tracks that get this and the ones that don't. Other than as you say, whether in the past they have they have been one groove or two groove, and maybe they may just do it, you know, just thinking that that this will rubber in another groove and there'll be two grooves. Maybe it's just a a, a thought process here that we do it anyway, and and this ought to make the racing good. I was just curious because I had not heard. And I talked to Ed Clark last week or week before, and we really didn't get into that. It's just that, that he was excited about getting racing started back down there. And, and I know Brandon's running the deal, but um, I know they're excited about getting racing back down there and, and more excited about fans coming back down the road. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know they are, and I know they love to get their Thursday night Thunder, Friday night drags deals going back uh, as well. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason that they would put it down. They haven't done it before. So I think that what that would do is probably create, instead of creating two grooves, because there isn't necessarily a preferred groove in Atlanta, is it probably create one groove and they don't want that. No, you don't want the bump and run at AMS. <laughs> you don't want them to be stuck like slot cars either, which fortunately Atlanta, that hasn't been the case. They do spread out, but they aren't necessarily stuck in, in one groove. So I don't, yep. I don't foresee that happening, but you never know. A lot of times uh, they'll show up and you just don't know. So, uh, again, to recap, though, yeah. this weekend, Atlanta Motor Speedway, you got your doubleheader, trucks first, then Xfinity, Saturday afternoon, all of that beginning at about 1 p.m. on MRN for Trucks, Performance Racing Network, which will be my gig. I'll be one of two pit reporters, but I'll be up top looking down. That that will be uh, with Doug Rice and Mark Garrow and everybody at uh, about 4.30 on Saturday, and then the Cup Race Sunday, I should probably look up the exact time there dan but uh i think it's probably about a 2 p.m pre-race there i'll uh pull that up here in just a second and let y'all know but i'm excited about it and i really i mean i don't see any reason why the people that were dominant at charlotte and darlington wouldn't also carry that over to atlanta motor speedway you know it's yeah i think the momentum for those people that have run extremely well the momentum's going to be there definitely, and, and it'll be up to the other teams to work hard and try to turn their momentum around and get themselves a win if they haven't got one already. That's for sure. Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 on Sunday at Green Flag after 3 p.m., so that means our pre-race show, the uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts pre-race show, the sorry, whoa, the Wix Filters pre-race show on Performance Racing Network, go PRN.com or the PRN app, that's going to be at 2 p.m., as well, and Dan's special programming on 95.5 WSB, we're not carrying the race, but because it's Atlanta's first major sport back, our sports director, Jay Black, is going to host a roundtable show talking about the race and covering some other highlights of the other major sports as they prepare to get back into action on Sunday from noon to 2. Sunday from noon to 2, 95.5 WSB. I'll be 
on location from Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, Eric Von Hessler will be a part of that, so he'll get his racing fix in. Uh, our former program director, Pete Spriggs, is a big racing fan. He's going to be calling in, and we're going to have some driver audio and some other guests as well. So check that out, uh, 95.5 WSB like in Atlanta, WSB. AM 750, and our WSB radio app. Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. That'll be a WSB 120, won't it? It will. It will be the WSB 120. Well, I'm going to make sure and uh, have reference for that on Sunday. So, Dan, I appreciate you I joining wish, in today. Yeah, I wish I could be there, but I don't think my heart will take it just yet. I've got to get released first, but um, I'd love to be there, but I just won't be able to. And and I just hope that uh, I know y'all have a great time, and I know the coverage will be great. Uh, it certainly will. Well, Dan, enjoy that from your palatial Dawsonville estate up there. And we'll have you back on next week for episode 100. That'll be next week of five to go. And hopefully Eric will join as well. So for uh, Eric Von Hessler, who couldn't join us today, and for Dan Elliott, I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull. Thank you all so much for joining the Five to Go podcast.